0: Hello, Trombone Internet. This is Chris Van Hoff, assistant to the regional manager of the International Trombone Festival. We at the festival, of course, are huge fans of the pod, and we are really excited to invite you to attend this year's 2024 International Trombone Festival at TCU in Fort Worth, Texas. Dave Begnosh is our host. We have the world premiere of a brand new double concerto for trombone and piano with the Fort Worth Symphony. We have the American Brass Quintet. We have Late Night Jazz featuring a Latin jam session. Like everything is happening, all the cast will be there. It's the best hang in the world, and we hope to see you there. You can register for the festival still online at www.internationaltrombonefestival.com, and it's happening the last week of May. So go register. We'll see you in Texas. Welcome to the Trombone Retreat, podcast of the Third Coast Trombone Retreat. Today on the podcast, we talk to Brian Hecht, bass trombonist of the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. My name is Sebastian Vera, and I'm joined as always by Nick Schwartz. Happy, hopefully better New Year, Nicholas. And when the podcast comes out tomorrow, happy birthday!
1: Oh! I thought you forgot my birthday. I would never forget. Well thank you. I'm looking I'm looking forward to listening to a new retreat of the the Trombone a new retreat a new (laughs) episode of the Trombone Retreat on my birthday. And
0: if I can say so myself, 21 never looks so good. And welcome to 2021, everyone. Thanks for joining us. We're excited about a brand new year of, of, of podcasting and hopefully trombone playing. If you haven't subscribed yet to the podcast, please subscribe. Anywhere you download your podcast, you can find us basically everywhere.
1: You know, I've known, I've known Brian for uh, a little bit here, but it was really nice to get to hear more of his story. He's a he's a really great guy and obviously a, a spectacular bass honest.
0: Yeah, we grew up really close together and around the same age, had the same teacher, and had a fun time talking about that. But he's... A real sensitive guy, too, besides his amazing playing and how funny he is. I I really enjoy getting to
1: know. Yeah, I agree. Today's episode is brought to you by Houghton Horns, whose mission is to spread the joy of music through providing the highest level of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community.
0: Check out their new YouTube channel that features our guest today, Brian Hecht, in some really awesome new videos that they just produced, performing on his Shires and Greg Black Mouthpieces, which Houghton Horns specializes in offering.
1: Visit their website at houghtonhorns.com. Enjoy the show.
0: <sighs> oh, there he is. What's Whoa. up,
1: guys? All right, Handsome has entered the chat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's good to see you guys. How y'all doing?
1: Oh, he's so busy. Oh, my God. I'm just, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just gigging. Just yeah, came exactly. from a gig, about to go to one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
2: Couldn't even take the trombone out of the case. On the car.
0: If you asked me where my trombone was right now, I'd have to think about it. Like, what room is it in? Mine's right here.
1: Always when I'm at the computer, it just brings me shame. It just looks at me.
0: See, See Brian has in his. In a...
1: <laughs> <laughs> you got a you got a tenor and a bass behind. You. Is that a contra too? No, no. That's I've just been a real meter.
2: bored, guys. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, I got my tenor and my bass. And like, what you can't see is I have like my tablet set up and I, or I just sit down here at night and watch movies and I say I'm practicing like I'm in my chair next to my trombones, right? That counts.
0: This is daddy's alone time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. It goes down to the basement. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
2: 10 p.m. to midnight. That's daddy time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is a, this is a PG-13 podcast. So, <laughs> oh, so what's up,
2: dude? not much at all happy 2021 definitely you know glad to kick that 2020 year out of here but uh really honestly not much just relaxing honestly it's it's i'm thrilled to get to do this with you guys i've followed y'all's third coast retreat for so long i sent a lot of my students go there and just like literally tell me that it's the best thing they've ever done like it's amazing what you guys are doing up there and uh, i've been checking out y'all's podcast a lot and thank you just thank you for having me on like this is really really cool
0: well, thanks for being on first first guest of 2021. That's a lot of pressure.
2: Ooh, yeah. Why'd you do that to me? Shit.
0: <laughs> I've just always wanted to say, how the Brian Hecht are you? <laughs> oh, I, that's good. I have not heard
2: that one before.
0: You haven't, I have. really? I
2: definitely I definitely have. Okay. Actually, my my band director like figured it out during a marching band rehearsal one day, and he was like, ha, ha, Brian heck <laughs> get the Get the heck off the field! <laughs> and like everybody <laughs> thought it was hilarious, and I was like, "All right, it's, it's done." And he's like, "No, really, get the heck off the field. You're you're in timeout or something." I was doing <laughs> something wrong. I missed my dot. <laughs> uh,
1: you missed your dot. Oh, I know. Hey, if you're a marching man, you know, right? Marching yeah. man in Texas.
2: That's that's some serious stuff. At least yeah. summers in Michigan are just like some of the most beautiful summers I've ever seen. um like, yeah, my, nice. my 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 pops has a house up in. Um, I'm not I'm not going to say it right, but Houghton Hancock, Houghton Hancock.
1: Yeah yeah Houghton
2: Houghton yep they've got a how oh. they're actually up there right now Houghton? i mean it's it's not beautiful right I mean it's beautiful in its own uh, wintry way, but like the I remember the summers up in Evanston were just like i mean growing up in Texas where they're miserable, it was just amazing, beautiful skies and like eighty degrees every day yep, like I wouldn't mind marching band out in that kind of weather.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Right now it's not so awesome. I was telling Sebastian earlier it snowed like a foot here, and then it rained, and so it's like (laughs) it's pretty gnarly outside right now. (laughs) Slush. Yeah. Everything's ice right now. (laughs) So you
0: you you call your granddad pops?
2: Uh, No, it's my dad. (laughs) Oh, you call your dad
0: pops? (laughs) That's so old fashioned. I love it.
2: Yeah. It's like it kind of developed like in my adulthood. I mean, I called him dad, you know, right? Like as normal, my old childhood, whatever. And then like as I started getting older, I was like, well. Now you're old as Heck, so you're a pops. So that's what <laughs> well, he old goes as by. Heck, Heck, Heck. Yeah, dang it, old as yeah. Heck. Yeah.
0: I have a student with the last name Heck, and so I, I just oh. I just pelt her with
1: dad jokes consistently. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck? Pelt her with dad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> they really, it really is a, a form of uh, attacking, isn't it? A, a dad joke. Oh yeah. Have it love. can be
2: if you use it correctly yeah. <laughs> well you're the only dad here
0: so yeah, that's true. you should tell yeah. us Brian.
2: They're, they're powerful things the thing is i can't tell you they'll just sneak in and you know you have to get that forced laughter
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah well you got to talk to you got to talk to brian sentaro he's not a dad but he's the king of the the dad jokes <laughs> really? oh man it, it, it's like uh at one it's point aggressive when, when, when Ray Mace was still principal trumpet of the ballet, he pulled me aside and he said, you you got to get Brian to stop telling bad <laughs> jokes. He's just pelting you too much with them, huh? Oh, he's constant. Yeah. In rehearsals and performances, he was just like little quips here and there. And and oh, yeah. Ray just like you could hear Ray just like groaning like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, let's dig in to the story of Brian Hecht let's go back to the beginning tell tell us uh where you grew up uh how you got into the trombone kind of just like walk us through the the beginning stages of brian Hecht.
2: yeah sure so actually i was born in i uh, grew up my whole life in texas i was born in galveston but all oh, the really beautiful brown waters of galveston <laughs> they disgusting there. yes he- <laughs> heavenly but um they uh was born in Galveston but I don't remember much of it cuz my parents moved whenever I was 2. So uh my first memories are in um like actually Dallas proper. Had a house there and probably spent lived there from like when I was 2 until like 10. Uh, a little uh personal story, is my parents split up whenever I was 2, so I don't really actually remember my parents being together. So like most of my childhood life was just like me, my dad and my brother like this like trio. And I would still like see my mom like half the time as well. And she got remarried whenever I was around four. So um, I've always grown up with like two families and my mom's the creative side that always really supported like, uh, you know, uh, music in my life and just anything arts, artistic and creative. She'd always, uh, you know, like she was really big into like uh, crafts and making stuff. So um, she's the one that sort of got my my mind going on a lot of that stuff. And my dad's a, a cardiologist. And so... He kind of supplied the other side of things of, you know, the math and science driven life. He actually, like, whenever I was little, he would, I I was so eager have an older brother that was in school whenever I wasn't, and I was like four, and he would, he would still give me like math homework on construction paper with crayons. And so whenever I was in kindergarten, I was a bit of a troublemaker, as I guess younger siblings usually are. And so I would always end up in, they called it time out at this elementary school, but whenever I'd be in, I was in gym class, which happened to be my favorite class because I could run around. I didn't get to participate because I couldn't keep my mouth shut. And so they'd they'd constantly, I'd have to stand outside the gym behind the door and with like my nose in the corner, except for one day <laughs> on a Thursday, I remember this, the uh, piano teacher came by and she was like, um, hey, this is uh, the time for piano. So anybody who wants to do piano class, come with me. And I was sitting in timeout and I kind of poked my head into the gym. I was like, does this mean I can get out of timeout? They're like, yeah, just go, 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 go. <laughs> so that's actually how my music training started was getting me out of timeout in gym class. And every Thursday, I knew that I could do whatever I wanted for the first 15 minutes of gym because I'd get out of timeout the moment the piano teacher rescued us. Nice. And so would uh, every Thursday, I started in piano and ended up being like, I kind of just did it to, you know, like I said, get out of things, but I ended up really liking it. It was exactly what I needed like I wasn't really good at focusing in class but like something about piano I was like wow this is the one of the coolest things I've ever seen and it sounds so cool and everything the teacher played I just remember being so beautiful that um, it was the only thing I was able to really focus and be driven about in school and like I remember piano class would go by so fast and so That's sort of where it all started for me was in kindergarten. I think I did it in first grade as well. But then I ended up moving schools and they didn't have a piano class. So I got a solid year or two of music education early on that kind of always stuck with me and taught me how to listen for music in things. Like when I was was watching a movie, I would really pay attention to the score. And I always thought the music was really cool. And I remember like saying to my, my family, like, wow, did you hear that really cool spot? They're like, no, I was watching the movie. Like, what are you talking about? And it just kind of got my ear going on. On music and that's, that's where it all started was in, in Dallas.
0: Seems like a common theme among bass bonus that we've interviewed is that they have a lot of trouble focusing. And they Wait, just what'd need...
1: you say? <laughs> <laughs> Were you in Dallas your whole upbringing?
2: Yeah, we went from uh, city of Dallas out to Irving. It was kind of crazy like my dad was uh, in med school whenever I was like in kindergarten through first and second grade and so uh, we were in pretty rough parts cuz he wasn't making like any money. We were totally broke. Like I remember breakfasts where like roaches would crawl up my leg and stuff like No. Was, yeah, dude, it was a little traumatizing. And they even we even had this like vent uh as most Texas houses do, it's like this fan in the ceiling that basically, you know, pulls the hot air out of the house to the attic. And when we turn that on, like just dead roaches would drop down. Oh yeah. <laughs> like just start raining. And so I remember that and then the moment my dad like finished med school and started getting a job he got his first paycheck and he was like holy cow we can we can move out of this garbage house and and actually you know uh get something real nice so he kind of went like nuts with it and got this like really nice house that he ended up like a year or two later was like yeah these mortgage payments suck let's let's downsize <laughs> a little bit but we we moved into las colinas like Irving i, I lived in las
0: colinas for a little bit
2: growing up oh did you really yeah uh we, we were there for like, like I guess like a year or two and then like fifth grade we moved to Capel and uh you know settled into the hoods of Capel. I can't imagine
0: how, how difficult it would be. Yeah, hoods of Capel, and we'll get into that. <laughs> um, yeah, a real real rough area. Isn't that um, where
2: Zach Bond is from too? Yeah. Yeah, same high school, same teacher, everything.
0: He was yeah, just yeah. uh four years ahead of me. And I can't imagine how tough that must have been as a as a young Single father going through med school and raising children that young. I mean, yeah, it's, it's probably hard to think about during the time, but geez, I mean, there was, I mean, yeah, I mean, there were some interesting nights,
2: like where I remember he would, he'd always have his pager on him back in the day of like pagers and stuff, right? Uh, he'd have his pager on him, and it would go off in like the middle of the night, and he like if we woke up, there would just be like a note by the phone, like hey, had to go to work. If you need me, like this is the hospital, the number for the hospital. I remember him teaching us how to like dial a phone. Yeah, in case you know we needed him in the middle of the night, but it was just me and my brother a lot of nights whenever he was on call. But yeah, I mean that. Gosh, that had to have been tough, you know, single dad trying to raise some some little hellions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, so we we grew up in the same area. I think about like fifteen minutes apart, something like that. I was in like yeah. Flower Mountain Village, Louisville, yeah. and you know, and we can go into it, but I mean we. It's kind of something I don't think I realized until I kind of left the area how lucky we were music education wise and just the amount of resources we had and the level of teaching and the level of the programs and the facilities. And like, even because so we had the same teacher, and I definitely want to talk about John Bowles, but like, even visiting him the other day, like, he's the private teacher for trombone there and he has his own studio in the high school. There's a trombone choir that Coppell High School has, like. It's a serious thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's I mean, I felt I I think you like what you said is like it's it's so you don't realize what you have when you have it with John. Like when you look back and like I talked to other people about like the sort of trombone upbringing they have or even the kids that I teach now like in high school it's like do you guys had like do trombone choir? It it felt like a trombone studio. Right? It wasn't just like oh yeah, I take lessons with this guy, you take lessons with that lady or whatever. It was like a unit, you know? Like we all hung out for one class every 6th, 7th and 8th grade. And even in high school, like we would do, trombone choir after after school was over, not during marching season. Obviously, that would be blasphemy. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, gosh, John creates such a great culture there that uh, we were, I was very fortunate to be able to grow up in the music, ed, you know, system of of capel. Like I remember, even in elementary school, like uh, before I started studying with John, like you had a music class that was just as long as your science class, your math class, or whatever, like. You'd go to the choir room. You'd learn, you know, solfege and wow. um, recorder. Like, we all got recorders that I'm sure my parents hated. My my friends constantly tease me, like, with this image of a Frozen recorder and a little, like, songbook to Frozen. Like, we're going to get this for your daughters because Aww. we hate you. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I remember practicing that. And, actually, my brother got to practice cello. That's that's one of my first musical memories in the house was my brother, uh, he's two years older than me, he actually had to lug a cello back and forth uh, from school to the house, and gosh, I can't believe they trusted a kid in sixth grade with a cello at that time, but he would give us little recitals in the living room, and I just remember thinking like, wow, that's so cool that you can just see those dots on a page and make you know songs with it. And, uh, and then he ended up playing trumpet. And he was like, I mean, I, I followed my older brother around everywhere. He played soccer. I played soccer. He picked number 21. I picked number 21. And then he like convinced the coach to give, give, him, uh, give him double zero. And my coach wouldn't do that. And so he finally got away from me <laughs> a bit. But I, man, I copied him for everything. And so when he did band, I naturally did band. And that was like sort of the pickup of the story there is going, I didn't really have I had just like the group music education in elementary school, but whenever I got into to middle school, like I was like, all right, yeah, I, my brother does band, so I'm going to do band.
0: And did you start studying with Mr. Bowles in middle school? No, I actually, um, I didn't,
2: so I didn't actually pick trombone at first. You could say trombone picked me. Oh, God. Um, I, <laughs> I, I watched too many Disney stories, you know, it's a cheesy story, but um, no, I remember. <laughs> Have you watched I, Soul yet? Yes. It's That's pretty, really
0: great, man. Features a lot of trombone in it, too. Yeah, the Andy Martin. Yeah, he sounded great. Yeah. Uh, I loved that oh, it's finally Andy the Martin? trombone got Is the that line. who it is? It, it, it's Andy Martin. Oh, oh, I was trying to find out. Okay.
2: Yeah, I think Alex Isles threw up uh, confirmation of that. and like They didn't like get, uh, put Andy's name in the credit, but yeah, he did a killer job on that. Yep. I, I remember going into middle school band, and I, they were like, all right, what, what instrument do you want to play? And I was like, um, French horn. Because I thought it looked real cool, you know, like all the loops and all the tubing. I was like, that just looks important.
1: Oh, you dodged a the bullet there. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Brian's <laughs> well, always been a sucker been so... for loops. <laughs> I love the French one, Shiny but damn, thing. it's hard. <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, but I remember, like, my, my lips are just too big for it. They gave me the mouthpiece. I was like... And from afar, like all right, the French one looks awesome. But then you see that tiny little mouthpiece, and it's like I can't work with this. Like my <laughs> bottom lip barely fit in there. <laughs> so that was never going to happen. Uh, and I was like, okay. They're like, well, what's next? And they have this, like this pamphlet with pictures. And of course, since Texas is marching band driven, it wasn't a tuba in there. It was a sousaphone. Of course. And so I was like, Oh, how about that thing? That the picture? It's also loopy and big bell and cool. <laughs> uh, and they pointed to this massive thing on the wall. I was like, oh, that's what that's what that is okay and the mouthpiece literally like covered my nose and my mouth and so that that didn't really work and so i was like all right fine you know cool kids play percussion so i'm Mm -hmm. gonna do percussion you seem like
1: you seem like a person who wanted to play percussion
2: (laughs) no i just wanted to be cool like i really didn't even care about the percussion (laughs) so when did you give up on that oh immediately like in the i remember in the audition they were like all right i'm gonna have a rhythm test for you where you got to you know, do one rhythm in your right hand, one rhythm with your, you know, right foot and then left foot and left hand. And like, I, I had no rhythm whatsoever. And they're like, I don't think this is going to work. How about I recommend something? I was like, okay. And he <laughs> you just can't count. So here's, a, here's a trombone. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally, you have no rhythm. You can't count. You have bad judgment. So here's a trombone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and funny story was like, you know, it's like, I was like, fine. Because I, I could actually buzz on the trombone. They put it to my face and I could make a buzz. And so they sent me home with a trombone. And I remember getting it. This was like in the middle of the summer or at the beginning of the summer. And they're like, yeah, just check it out for the summer. And, you know, we'll see you first day of sixth grade. So I had this like old con pea shooter. And I remember i didn't know what the slide lock was i thought it was like one of those things that like they cut off the first day of school and then you could use the slide so i actually only practiced it in first position for the entire summer oh my
1: god (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing
2: (laughs) i had no idea and i remember getting there and i like we're all everyone's warming up i'm looking down the line and they're like doing all these positions i'm like how did you do that when did you get yours cut off did you did you get yours cut? No, you still have yours. How did you get yours to move over there? And I, that's when John Bowles just
0: walked up to me and he's like, this is going to be a
2: long year, isn't it? And he
0: just twisted
2: it. I was
0: like, you got to be kidding me. The look of astonishment on your face at <sighs> that moment. I wish I could see like your whole world just opened up. <laughs> but all right. So, you know, you went through the Texas band machine. Mm-hmm. Um, we could talk about Mr. Bowles, you know, all day. He, he was like a second dad to me growing up. And, you know, he had so many successful students including zach bond of course too and so you went to ut after that yeah Mm-hmm. yeah what, what what drew drew that interest
2: uh so my dad went to ut for med school and i actually was like in line to sort of follow what he did like my dad's cardiologist my stepmom at the time was a nurse and so it was just like medicine medicine my mom actually was an accountant for a doctor as well so it's just and my my grandfather was actually one of the scientists that discovered Alcon eye drops way oh, back wow. in the day. Oh, really? Yeah. So he's in medicine too and, and in so- the science field. So I was like, I guess I'll just kind of do that. And I remember like I would do all the, you know, all the music that our schools required of us, but I wouldn't do it like during the summer. Instead, during the summers, I would go off to do medicine camps. Like I did one in oh, wow. Houston uh, where I got, actually like got to go see like them, you know, we took apart a cadaver and I've, seen like I've been in the room scrubbed out when people are getting like surgeries on their eyes, like their ACLs, like having, having a hernia removed. Like we got to, for like a whole month, I was in the hospital doing rounds. This camp in, in Houston, it was like the National Youth Leadership Forum on Medicine. That's what it's called. Wow. And so I actually, I entered UT as a human biology major. And like whenever I made Allstate at my senior year, that was like the first accolade I had on my instrument that I was like, wow, I'm, maybe I'm good at this uh, and I could do something with this because I always enjoyed music and I always enjoyed the people in music and that I got to hang out with, like the friends you make through music. I always enjoyed hanging out with them a lot, a lot more than, you know, people in my math and science classes. And so I, it's like I remember what level of
0: nerd are you more
2: interested in? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh (laughs) i i even showed up to ut my my uh my major was still human biology i was part of the pre-med program there and um i just it like my heart wasn't in it and whenever i saw like all the you know i went to orientation and they like laid out basically like this is the work that's expected of you to complete this program at ut it's extremely rigorous a lot of reading a lot of stuff like that and i i just i knew i'm not like a good reader i grew up with severe add and adhd And so, like, I, my focus, like, and John Bowles can attest to this, like, my focus was just gone 99.9% of the time. And so, like, the idea of sitting down and having to read a ton of books and be successful at that and making good grades doing that, I was just like, this, this is just not what I'm built for. I'm built for more like hands on kinesthetic learning. And so, I, I switched immediately at orientation. I was just like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do this. I'd rather try and, I'd rather be broke and doing something I love than rich and doing something I don't love. And so I switched to music right away. And like my family always told me like, you know, they don't make that much money, but it never bothered me.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, like when you decided to let down and disappoint your family by using a <laughs> career in music, like that must have been hard. Yeah. Like, they, all these I scientists know, was, and doctors. And, <laughs> I will play the trombone. <laughs>
2: I was kicked out of the house immediately. Disowned. <laughs> they made me change my name. <laughs> um yeah no they honestly like my actually my dad was super supportive and my my grandfather actually this is whenever I learned stuff about him I didn't really know like he's a quiet guy but you know like he kind of like lit up whenever I told him I wanted to do music and I never knew he had he's a, a huge classical music nerd and even to this day like my grandfather's like 80 something he doesn't talk very much but if you get him going about like Rachmaninoff and Shostakovich it's like all these memories come back from like his youth, and he's just like he'll tell me about when he used to go to concerts and how much he loves. Like he's like, oh, but this is like Shostakovich Seven is my favorite symphony, and I'm just like, I had wow. no. How have we not had this conversation before? He's got all these LPs of uh, Shostakovich, Rachmaninoff, you know that that sort of stuff, and I had no idea. He just he's so into that. So it actually, I got a lot of support from my family, and of course, a lot from my mom. She was like at every single you know band concert in high school and then whenever i switched to music in college she drove down for every single recital and was you know there for the concerts and even when we went to northwestern she would uh they would go up there for my recitals and I actually had a, a very supportive family through that and i think that's what was what honestly like was able to help me keep my you know nose to the grindstone there and i don't know if i got that saying right but um <laughs> you got it yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it kept me going was yeah, a lot of family support, and obviously John being able to always call back on him, I remember even going to college, I came back to to John I was like, "Hey, can I get a lesson just to like see if I'm doing this right? Like how do I take lessons with other people? yeah you know, mm-hmm. yeah my my
0: teacher's not singing the whole time while, I play my rose <laughs> shoes, I feel really uncomfortable
1: <laughs> wow, that's what I was saying how you let he would sing while you play louder than you,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, and right. he had a great tone,
2: too, man. Like when he, yeah. He's a... John's a bass trombone player, and um he would play in lessons, and I just remember being like, wow, your your sound is probably like five times bigger than mine. Like, how do I get... Uh, how do I get the room to resonate like that? Like he was a, a great example.
1: So, at this point, uh, I mean, you started on tenor trombone, and mm-hmm. when did you switch to bass trombone?
2: I switched to bass trombone my junior year of undergrad, but I'd say my love for the bass trombone came way before that, because because of John John played it all the time and like I always thought it was I mean he, he had like an old Bach like one of those ones that like you see on eBay now and you're like okay I gotta grab this right now I don't I'm not sure if it was a Mount Vernon one but it's definitely one I still go back and play it and I'm like yeah dude this is a, this is a great bass it's got those OE Thayers on it and it's it's one of the old old school goodies but I remember my junior year of high school they needed a bass trombone player in the top ensemble because they were recording for a Texas Honor Band. And they didn't have a bass trombone player. They didn't even own a bass trombone. So, but I liked low notes and I sucked at high notes. So they're like, <laughs> you're going to play the bottom part in mm-hmm. Hand to Myth, Symphony, in B-flat. and B flat. And so nice. what I got like, that was my introduction to the low range, the, you know, what low trombone could do and sort of the star moments you could have on it. And I've, I always had like a, you know, affinity for, you know, low brass and low trombone parts at that point. And, you know, I thought I was gonna make it on tenor, but you know, Dr. Brickens at UT was really honest with me. He's like, hey, in so many words, Brian, you suck. Like this isn't gonna work <laughs> for you. So but what I've heard like,
1: about him, I don't think he would say, yeah, it, very say much it that way. No, <laughs> no. It was a much I've heard more he, sweet I've heard he's very nice. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He 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 let that he drug that out into a full lesson of just compliments and gentle persuasion. But to save time, it was like, like you're not, you know, you, you hate tenor clef, you hate alto clef, you hate notes above, G above the staff, so play bass, and you don't have to worry about any of that.
0: <laughs> and man, four, four years in Austin during undergrad, that sounds like heaven. I mean, do you ever miss yeah. that experience?
2: Uh, you know, I I don't, but I definitely cherish it, you know, because I've had a lot of great experiences. Like, Northwestern was also a very nurturing amazing music school to go to so i never like went to northwestern thinking like man i wish i was still at ut but i am so thankful that i got four years at ut just because of like that uh the education you get there it's so fundamentally based like you are not gonna leave university of texas with bad fundamentals like it's just like it it can't happen you know dr brickens is is that way that it's like we'll get to music when you learn how to play that that trombone in your hand
0: and I was just curious what the the town itself, because I mean, it's it's one of my favorite American cities. And every time I'm there, I'm like, yeah, I could live here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was... It, it's It's changed a lot. I'm a bit of like an old Austin fan, you know, when it wasn't a big city. It was like the biggest little city you ever went to. And, you know, you could... You, you could get into music festivals without without having to buy your tickets two years in advance you know you could uh just show up to like um stubs downtown and check out a new band or like if your favorite band is playing you could literally make the decision that day like hey let's just get some tickets and go and gosh i've f- I freaking loved growing up with that sort of a music scene such a diverse music scene that here i am studying <clears throat> classical music and like they have a symphony there but like their arts funding is spread so far across the spectrum in Austin because there's so many different kinds of music thriving there that the symphony actually wasn't one of the big things I went to. Like I was going to all sorts of different kinds of music. Like you could pop into any bar and see a different band playing at 20 different bars along 6th Street. And it was it was really cool to not only hear that kind of music, but also seeing all those people out there with such a drive to make it. You know, well, you,
1: see, you see that scene, I mean, maybe not to the level of Austin, but in a couple of different places in the country that are both like a big city and a college town. Madison, Wisconsin is one of them, you know, but Austin has like the benefit of being a huge college town and the capital. So yeah. like you have like all, all this built in interest. So I think that, you know, I, I've thought about this before with other cities. Like, why is Austin such a music scene? And it's like that's why there's like built in interest, you know, there's built in audience. So, you know, it's, it's ripe for success. You know, the resources
0: of a city with the demographic of like a bajillion people, 18 to 25. Exactly. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Austin is, I can definitely see how it's gotten crazy. Like every time I go Sixth street, like, you know, it's it's like times square. You don't even want to go there. I I always used to say that like Austin was like, the because it's, it's one of the most liberal cities in America in one of the most conservative states in America, even though that's starting to change. But like, I always mm-hmm. said that it's where all the kids that grew up in super conservative households like escape to, <laughs> like <laughs> this move to Austin to like that's actually out pretty way. accurate for me. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, it's it, it really, it, it like what I, one thing I loved about Austin and the nurturing of the music is that there's those huge music festivals like ACL. Austin City Limits, what, like fifty thousand people would show up to Austin City Limits every summer. And you yeah. would I remember being in these massive crowds watching Muse or like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers or well MGMT that I was into at that point. Nice. And there's I mean there were just a lot of great it wasn't just like all the big money bands. Like it was also like a lot of bands that people haven't heard of. They were on the up and up that um you could go see live and it would just be like a big jam. And they had South by Southwest as well at a different mm-hmm. part of the year, so it was just constant revenue coming in to like basically to help bands you know get a leg up and that's where i think a lot of bands got their start and got built their following is at these huge music festivals and so it was was a really cool time to be in austin and since then it's built it's just been built up built up and i heard that uh just recently elon musk is moving uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of his headquarters there and i'm like oh great now no one like austin does not have the highway infrastructure Mm -mm. to handle that Population. It already doesn't. It's, it's already
1: it's terrible. like Na- Nashville. That's what's happened in Nashville too. It's like constant gridlock because there's no infrastructure for the amount of business that's moved there. It's gotten crazy,
0: you know.
2: Yeah, it's nuts.
0: So you switched to bass Trombone, You got into Northwestern and in, into the Handsome Boys Club, as we like to call it. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. we're, you were there with uh with with our good friend Binder, right?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And a
1: yeah, uh, little Jerry, mini mix. <laughs> mini mick (laughs) oh i love that i was just texting with uh with bender this morning oh Um, nice you were there and you were studying with uh, i think we've we've talked to well we talked to david and you know the unique situation of teaching there at northwestern where you're studying with mick and you're studying with randy Hawes, and you're studying with doug wright and you're studying with Mm -hmm. was tim higgins there at this point
2: No, for me, and Doug wasn't either, but uh, it was um, Charlie Vernon's last two years, two years I did my grad school there. It was Charlie Vernon, Pete Ellison, and Mick Mulcahy. It was still
1: that team teaching stuff. Okay. Right. And how was that experience going from, obviously, you know, like you had had, uh, John Bowles, and then you had uh, Dr. Briggins. So you had one teacher, one teacher, and now suddenly you have a resource of three teachers or more to pull on. How was that for you?
2: Man, you know, like uh, as a grad student, I think it was exactly what I needed, especially guys with like jobs that I wanted, you know, the second in bass trombone of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and Pete Ellefson, who had been second in principal in Seattle and was teaching at Indiana as well. Like I, it it was, these were the guys I needed to study with because it's exactly what I wanted to do. So it was, it was great because they all had their specialties and they were really like a power trio while I was there because... Like, obviously, Charlie was... I mean, in Texas, he's a god. I mean, in a lot of places, he's a god. But, you know, yeah, in... in <laughs> Yeah, right. And then, But in Texas, it's like everybody knows who Charlie Vernon is. And so going up there, I was a bit... I was, I was totally starstruck. Not even a bit, but totally starstruck. And so... But, you know, getting to study bass trombone with him and Mick just blowing my mind. Like, he, he would never tell me, this is what you need to do with your chops to play trombone. But he would open my mind to the sort of philosophical approach to playing the instrument and not tell me like hey can you crescendo more here but he was like can this can this passage sort of be like as the waves hit the beach sort of thing like that gentle caress of the sand and i'm like wow and he would like bring me to the window we would look out at the lake and he's like you see those waves see how they're doing like how they're doing that can you musically do that and i was like holy cow that's i have i had never thought about using my surroundings to influence my approach to phrasing and music and just you know tone concept and just everything you know like having those images was exactly what i needed because like i said i'm not big into like if i read a book like it tells me how to play trombone that doesn't mean i'm suddenly going to know how to play trombone but if you show me things like that like that works for me and so mick was great with that charlie obviously the bass trombone aspect and then pete pete was one of those guys that you could ask him like okay literally how do I do this you know like how how do I play high range what do I need to be doing with my lips and he was uh he he was a, a thinker like that that could really you know help point you in the right direction of physically what you needed to do so it, it was a really well-rounded education there but I can see how it would be easy for and I think some of the undergrads did get a little bit lost in all right well this this teacher wants me to be working on this but this one wants me to working on this and this one wants me working on this like you don't have consistent weekly lessons with the same person you rotate so you might get like one lesson a month with mick and having to come back a month later with the focus of what he needed you to fix could be if you weren't an organized undergrad which i totally wasn't at ut it it would be very difficult to to streamline your progress
1: right i mean i think it's we teach this way at uh the three schools i teach at it's the same faculty myself damian and weston you know, it, it takes a little bit of tooling around with some, some people it's better for some not, but yeah, it just takes a little bit on the teacher side too, to organize like how are we going to do this to make it effective for our students? But yeah, I, I can see it's like, there are huge benefits, but for some people it could be a little, you don't, you don't have your feet on the ground. Yeah. So, okay. At this point, are you take you're taking auditions. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I know you must be, cause then you land one. What was your first audition? I, I know your <clears throat> first job, but what was your first audition?
2: Very first audition was uh, Peoria Symphony. Boom. Peoria, mm. yeah. The, the big leagues. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there, there's uh, someone in the Peoria Symphony listening right now that's just like, exactly. Damn Brian Hect.
2: I mean <laughs> it. Uh, unsubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember, yeah, the, I, I didn't take any auditions in undergrad. Because, I, like I said, uh, Dr. Birkins was like, no, you need to learn how to play that trombone before I'm going to teach you excerpts and stuff. And I'm so glad he did because I probably would have developed a lot of bad habits on those excerpts. But uh, I didn't take any any auditions in undergrad. In fact, I didn't even audition for music festivals and stuff. I didn't even know about those. But grad school, that Peoria, was actually before I entered, that's where I met all of my classmates because all the other grad school and undergrad-based trombones were also at that audition. So we got to like hang out and meet each other. And like, oh, you're the fresh meat here at Northwestern. Like, We'll show you how it's done. <laughs> And sure enough they did. I, I bombed it. I remember like missing every note above the staff in creation and just like Do, do yeah, they I not like though. when
0: you do that?
1: <laughs> it's a, it's one way to do it, you know. That was your interpretation. <laughs> it's a no, vibe.
2: No bonus points though. <laughs> yeah, it, so, it didn't go well.
1: So okay, walk us through you know, you, you take that audition, didn't go well. How long until you found some success in, in the audition circuit?
2: It was a bit. I think I stopped I didn't take another audition after that for for a year cuz like I I started having lessons with Charlie and he I'd record my excerpts, bring them in and he was like, "Dude, you're just you're just missing too many notes." You know, he was like tough love on me and I needed that. And so I was like, "All right, I've got some work to do." And he would he showed me. Honestly, I didn't really I didn't think that like burrs at the front of your notes was like a like a bad like uh or a no. a deal breaker. You know, I, I thought, you know, oh, you're just being picky. But when Charlie told me, I was like, okay, well, he, he knows. So I yeah. better I better fix this. And so I, I took a lot of practice. And, you know, he even got on to me when Buffalo came open. And I think Jeff D won. He was like, why aren't you at that audition? And I'm like, oh, I don't have $500 for the flight and hotel. And he's like, that's what credit cards are for. Brian, you don't got to pay it now. <laughs> <laughs> sound financial oh, that advice. Is, that is not good advice. <laughs> no. And so I, I didn't take any auditions for a bit, and then finally I, um, you know, I, I remember I was uh, submitting for like ITF and stuff, and again, just constantly bringing recordings to Charlie, and like that was one of the, I think one of the greatest things I could do is I'd bring recordings in on my phone or on like a, you know, recorder and just play them for Charlie, and just getting to watch his immediate reaction to to hearing stuff, even if he didn't say it, I could know like, okay, that. That I nailed that, that little part, good. Or that was not good enough. Like, you could just see it on his face. And then he would give me great comments, and I think then the next audition I took was before the, my second year was for the Northwest Indiana Symphony Orchestra, and I made finals. And I was like, whoa, I can't believe I actually made finals. And I remembered, uh, I didn't win it, but it got me on their sublist, and they, funny... <laughs> funny story was that i remember my this was my first like real gig i well i I, where i was driving down there was like a a a gala concert at a casino in muncie indiana which is about like 45 minutes from chicago Mm -hmm. um and i was driving down and i was on the express in the express lanes which have exits like every 25 miles or something bogus and i missed my exit because like i'm sitting there watching the horseshoe casino go by and i'm like that's where i'm supposed to be and it's 15 minutes till downbeat okay what and yeah i, I didn't because i i i had a tough time understanding northern traffic like in texas 10 miles is about a 12 minute drive right even with traffic it might be a 15 minute drive you know if you you can you can stay on the side roads and stuff in chicago 10 miles is that's an hour drive like easy and i definitely did not gauge that correctly coming from evanston and so I remember being at the toll booth and I was like, I told the person at the toll booth I was like all the way on the right one. And I was like, I need to get off right there. This is like an emergency. And I'm in like a tuxedo. I'm not really sure how much this person believed me, but I was like, I, I have to make it to that casino. And the guy kind of like looked at me, and he was like, Are you kidding me? Like I can't like just bond, let you a
1: Bond villain. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> He's like, I can't let you across. I was like, You don't understand that I need this job, like please and so he like radioed into the other toll booths and he was like hey hold everybody for a second we got someone coming wow. across
0: That's
1: and so
2: amazing. i went like across five lanes i turned around to the other toll booth and then crossed all of those lanes and exited for the horseshoe casino and i remember kirk muspratt was the conductor and he's sitting you know like it's like literally five minutes till Till I'm, we're supposed to go on downbeat. And he's sitting behind the stage door, just sort of like going through Pines of Rome, like thinking, what are my tempos? And he sees me fly backstage, just running, you know, to the dressing rooms with my horn. And I was just like, give me a minute. Like one thing you probably should never say to the conductor, <laughs> uh, like, just wait for me. And I remember... Uh, <laughs> I remember my <laughs> first gig. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, but I, I got dressed so fast that I got out there for Pines and I sat down and I was just like... I could not get my heart rate under control, but that I, I yeah, learned well, a lot. You had a whole movement that. to
1: get your heart rate under control in pines.
2: I know, but I was just dripping sweat, and uh, <laughs> it was that was that was a nightmare. I learned a lot, not only with that audition, first time making finals, but then getting to play a gig with them a few weeks later. I was like, okay, so this is what you not to do,
0: you know. And they're like, we clearly picked the right guy. So, now <laughs> See, we <that> know. I <laughs> never got
2: called again. Oh they no, never called me again. And, uh, but these yeah. are like, these
0: are good lessons to learn. Right. I mean, yeah. ha- there's so many lessons you have to learn in, in winning an audition, even if you're a good player, but then getting the job, it's a whole other thing. And it's, it's nice to have the opportunity to make mistakes in a place that maybe might not come to bite you where it's going to be detrimental to your career, but um, you got to learn it. So go, go into the Navy and, I'd love to hear about that audition process, and I'm really curious if that changed you at all, being in such a, like a structured, disciplined atmosphere.
2: I needed that, that's for sure. I was like, I like I said, I grew up with ADD, ADHD. I was so like all over the place mentally. But oh, I guess, sorry, I, I didn't answer your question before. My first job was Kenosha Symphony. But, um, I finally nailed one and was the bass tromboneist, the Kenosha Symphony for two seasons, and then when I graduated, I won the Navy um, in 2009. But yeah, the, the audition process there, it shocked me at first because it was very different. Like I, Usually you don't have to play sight reading. In fact, the only audition I'd played sight reading before was the Illinois Philharmonic. And the sight reading was Kyrie from Mozart Requiem, oh, wow. which I had never heard before until the guy before me played it. Jared Ooh. Lancey was right oh, okay. before me. And I remember hearing him play it and I was like, what is that one? Like, i I don't have that in my book. Sitting there, and I, I also took a lot of his tempos. Because like, oh, the ride's supposed to go that fast, like, and I was taking it way too slow. And so I, I, I went in there, I did that, and I got to the site reading, and I remember looking at the proctor. I was like, hey, what's the tempo? He was like, just play,
0: just look at the page and play. And I.
2: it had to have been a comical relief for them to just hear my sight reading just bomb it because it was guaranteed nowhere near what it should have been I was probably missing all sorts of notes needless to say that did not go well for me but Navy band I I, I got there and I was like you know sight reading is something that you may have to do with military bands it's you just got to expect it it's and and they they even told me I made the first audition was in March of 2009 before I graduated and I made finals me and dana landis i think in finals
1: and wait there... was, this was for the navy, navy band yeah yeah dana was my roommate in school in at, at, at new york
2: shut up no way <laughs> <laughs> what a
1: small world yeah. man yeah
2: yeah it was it was me and him and uh we both did great on the excerpts i mean you you know dana he's a phenomenal player and yeah, but we is. both bombed the sight reading because it was like they threw down one of those pieces that's like it should have been put on like a full page, but because in the military they play out of those little books, they basically created the, it was like I don't know if it was Flight of the Bumblebee or Circus Bee. No, Circus Bee, I think. Oh, no, wow. it's not Flight of the Bumblebee, but um there'd be one note. <laughs> uh <it was> Circus <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> Bee. And it has this crazy roadmap where you you know, play the top, go through the trio, play the first ending, skip the second ending, go to the bottom line. Wow then go back to the third bar of the trio, hit the second ending, go da capo fine. And so like, I remember playing the whole excerpt at this first audition and I never played the bottom line. And I was like, where the heck was that supposed to go? Uh, (laughs) And I had no idea. And they were just like, thanks. And Dana did the same thing. Like we had no idea like where that bottom line was supposed to fit in. And so they said no higher.
0: That's some like gotcha sight reading. That's
2: (laughs) yeah. and. I remember calling him out towards, like, "Hey, can uh, comments please? Like, what, what, what did I, what did I do wrong, man? I know I missed some things here and there, but you know, like, what, what can I do better for next time?" They're like, "Just learn how to sight read." Whoa! And so I remember over the summer, one of my really good friends, she worked in a library at Northwestern. They've got a huge wind ensemble library, and I was like, "Hey, I will pay you sixty bucks, hundred bucks, if you can, in your free time, co- make copies of every single march you can get your hands on." And so she did. She sent me like a probably 50, 60, you know, wow. Carl King, Sousa marches, whatever. And I just had that stack on my stand. And this was a recommendation from one of the guys in the Navy band. And uh, every day I would spend time just in my practice sessions, doing, like just do the next one and like give myself 30 seconds to look over it. And, you know, you, you develop a uh, routine for whenever you have 30 seconds of sight read, like what do you need in order to get through it? And that's that was my goal. Just get through it and rely on my fundamentals to, you know, give me good sound and good notes and articulations and stuff. And so that was tremendously helpful because I had l- looked at so many marches that by the time the sight reading came back around, it I it wasn't sight reading at all. I n- had seen the pieces before, and so it was. I was ready, and I was like, oh, yeah, Rolling Thunder, got it. Let's do this. And so I was wow. able to play it. Wow, good for you. Um, The way i wanted it to and yeah that that was the one that you know sealed the deal for me and i won and yeah that october went to boot camp in december and that i still have boot camp nightmares like i I want to hear about that like just the other day i was telling my wife that like i had a dream that like i it's the same dream but different scenarios every time where i've been called back to boot camp
0: right wasn't that bad i
2: I hated it i don't like being told what to do especially for no reason like fold your underwear well, why? Like I'm about to wear it, just like, and they're like, get the corners right. I'm like, this is good enough. It's gonna fit. You know, I'm not. I I don't work well with that. And so it was uh, a solid, oh, a little over two months. I mean, if you see my report cards all through elementary school, and middle school, high school, I would get like D's and F's in conduct. And so <laughs> I have a history of not listening to my teachers, and then suddenly I have to go to boot camp, and they set me straight. Man, it was. I, like I said, I still have these nightmares where like I'm in the symphony and I'm I'm coming home and I get called like hey, we need you back and I have to like tell my wife and kids like okay, I'll see you in two months. I gotta go to boot camp and they're dropping me off and I'm like forcing myself to wake up. Yeah. Well
1: you you wanna hear something. I I have a student, yeah. uh he's actually an alumni of the retreat. He is uh a new member of Pershing Zone. And oh, wow. um that's great. He went he went to boot camp I think in February, January, February of t- twenty twenty and got stuck at boot camp because of covid what? so he was he was he was stuck there for like an extra couple of weeks or something
0: that's terrible <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: did yeah. you did you get in trouble for i mean did you ever have moments in boot camp where you just like couldn't help but like say a smart comment or something or did you eventually i mean you have to just play the game at some point right
2: yeah but they 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 broke me for sure like um <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I remember there were times where like I they they made me a section leader because I was one of the older ones there. Most of the people in boot camp are fresh out of high school, right? And I the, I was one of the older ones. They also one of the things I was told was do not let them know that you're in the band. Like I've heard or that. they might know that you're in the band, but don't let them know that you're in the Navy band in DC because those people come out of boot camp and automatically go into E6. Like it takes up usually 12 to 13 years in the Navy to make it to E6. And so my drill sergeants were E6s and E7s on week, I think I made it through a full week before they found out. It was week two. I got called into the office and they're like, heck, get the hell in here. And so I go in there and they have my file and they're just like all gathered around with this, like this sinister, like look on their face. Like, so you're going to be an E6 when you get out of here, huh? And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. uh Uh-huh. And they're like, you know how long it took me to get to E6? How long did it take you, Jeff? How long did it take you, Dave? And they're all like, oh, 12 hard-earned years. And they're like, so the chief looks at them and it's like, boys, let's give him 12 years of hell while he's here for oh two months.
1: Oh, my God. Oh, God. So uh... they
2: constantly, they would have chiefs from other units come into our unit and they're like, where's your E6? Where's he at? Bring him to the front.
1: Oh my God. And so
2: I'd have to go to the front while everyone's like folding laundry, or doing whatever. I would sit there and have to do, uh, it was called it intensive training, like push ups, sit ups, jumping jacks, running, like all this stuff. Just basically you're sweating your butt off. And to the point where like my, I forgot what it was called. Like my unit, like, not like squad, but my buddies in the unit would like feel bad for me. And they would come up and do it with me. I was like, wow. uh, that I always thought that was really cool. And like those are the guys I kept in touch with for a little while after for a few years while we were all still in the Navy. But they just thought it was hilarious that I was just the person they picked on. But they made me a section leader. And so I was like, All right, well fine. You want me to be a section leader? I'll I'll try to be a leader. You know, I'll try to do the thing. And so like when we would do marching drills, like I was raised in Texas marching band, I know how to march, like and it was simple stuff. Like everybody follow the lines on the ground. We're gonna do this turn. Right. And everybody knows how to do that marching band turn like the people there were just they were not understanding how to do it. So like I would try and like give pointers, you know, like, you know, keep your heels on the line and you'll just, you know, match the toe like whatever. And I remember getting yelled at so bad. And I'm like, what do you want? Do you want me to be a section leader or if not, like just put me back there. And that was the wrong thing to say. I should have just taken it to the point where the chief I remember it was like week four. The chief came up. She got right in my face. She was heck shut up i hate you and just like walked up
0: what, <laughs> what? and this i was just preschool? like
2: I, I i couldn't leave but it actually like got to me because i wanted to like, i wanted to be good at it i wanted to like try to do what i was do the thing and like i remember they like from then on they were constantly just like heck shut up like get to the back and they took my section leader pin for like a couple of days then they gave it back to me and i remember when they gave it back to me I actually threw it on the desk and i was like find someone else and that was also a bad Damn,
0: idea dude
2: <laughs> you rebel they yeah, they they hated me and but like i said dude they they, they broke me after a while like that whenever i did that and i threw the the section leader pin back at them they called me back in there and they just verbally beat me down to the point where i was in tears and uh that when they when they got me to the peak of like you know there's actually tears coming down my face they're like all right get out of here right now and go back to your unit and i had to like walk out and all my friends are staring at me coming out of the office and i'm like i'm like i'm crying i'm like legit crying i'm just like come on man man up like you're not like don't show don't don't show your your tears here but it's like it is what it was you know like and they and at that point i was like all right i guess i understand what i got to do uh we- to make this work
0: Were you just counting the days till the end? Oh, dude.
2: Yes. Yes. Well, because also at the end was Christmas for me. Like I went in end of October and two months I came out was the end of December. And I, I remember I got out like December 22nd or 21st, something like that, and literally went home and it was Christmas. So it was like I was not only looking forward to get out, I was looking forward to family and Christmas and honestly getting back to my instrument. Like I had my mom send me a picture of my of me playing my trombone. And that's what I had in my that's locker. That's adorable. Next to like, <laughs> next to some family photos was like, you know, picture of my trombone. And I,
0: it was like a faded you know, memory. You're like, oh yeah, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, and funny thing was like, I I still dream about too. Is they um they pulled me aside at the beginning of boot camp and they said they're like, hey you you have a masters and scored ninety eight on the ASVAB, which is I mean it's a high school equivalency test. Like I hope I can score a ninety eight after having a undergrad and master's you know and they're like you're like you're real smart like if you knew me you wouldn't say that um (laughs) but they they were like you do you want to put the trombone down right now and we can make you an officer and i was like this was this was 48 hours into boot camp where when you first get to boot camp they don't let you sleep like they want to try and break you the first day and it works for a lot of people um but like that you stay up for 48 hours straight they feed you barely at all you have to like strip down naked in front of like they separate guys and girls. And like the first thing you do is you strip down naked, put everything into a box that you own. Like it's like a ceremonial thing of like you becoming part of the military. You put it in a box, put your parents address on it and they ship it all home. And from then on everything in your possession is something that was assigned to you. So you put on their like huge whitey tidies, all the camos and everything. And so it's sort of that like rebranding of you. Uh yeah they they pulled me aside for like you know 48 hours and they were like all right now's your chance to become an officer we can give you a really you know a different life and you I was like could I play trombone and still be an officer they're like no way uh uh-uh. you could conduct but you can't play trombone I was like well I want to play trombone they're like you sure wow. like we'll triple your salary and make you an officer and I was like no I'm good I'm gonna go play trombone and they just they they couldn't believe that it, like someone would choose to play trombone over like I guess the money of of being and
0: home. this this is before they knew like you were gonna have a pretty high rank. Yeah, you were done right.
2: They I guess they thought I was just gonna go be like an E two or an E three at some at a fleet band, which those are still amazing jobs too. But they were yeah. I was like no, no, I'm good. I wanna I'm here because I'm I'm gonna play trombone.
0: I've always been curious about that whole process because I mean, of course, it makes sense if you're training someone to go off into war and battle, you have to be able to trust them and you have to break them down, blah blah. But like keeping on to your sense of self and your own identity, are you kind of just discovering more about yourself or is it totally just kind of breaking everything down? I mean, is it hard to hold on to who you are going through a process like that?
2: Um No, you know, it is like you, you stay who you are, but you, you learn a lot about what you can handle like emotionally and physically. Like I've never been so physically drained in my life. I've never been so emotionally. Well, I have been emotionally drained in my life plenty of times uh, after that, but that was one of the first times that I was like like literally beat down and there's nothing you can do about it. I've always been bullied in my life. You know, like I didn't grow into my lips until I was like an undergrad or grad school. So like it was like, there's my face and then half of my face is just lips. So I, I got bullied a lot, but you can always go home and get away from it. And boot camp, like you're around the people bullying you essentially 24 seven. Uh, I remember being so exhausted from everything that, uh, so they actually like, they kept some like lights on at night and I was on a top bunk, literally right beneath one of these lights and I could still sleep through like these office, you know, lights every single night that was red. So like at night, it was white during the day, like this office style lighting. And then they would put like every five lights would be red at night. And I just remember like sitting underneath one of them, like a McDonald's hamburger. And I would (laughs) still just sleep right through it oh but man it it gets you but you're i, I think so, a lot of people are proud of the person they become after they get through it
0: man and yeah so you got through it you got to do the gig finally you got to pick up yeah. your trombone again i imagine it was a process getting back in shape oh dude yeah we because you only get to play i got to play
2: for thir- i got to practice for 30 minutes every saturday like the recruiter taught me how to sneak my mouthpiece in so i brought my like greg black one and a quarter in and uh, I tucked it into my sock and then when we all had to like strip down and like he was like just quickly switch socks like tuck it into your new socks so that they have like you have like a bunch of socks rolled into a ball just shove it in one of them. So I got I got to keep my mouthpiece there and once you get it through that process they don't really care that you have it. And were you I would,
0: nervous? Did you feel like a secret agent when you're trying to pull that off?
2: Yes except that I was like absolutely naked so the nerves of the <laughs> mouthpiece I was like I don't even care dude like I'm just like just get me dressed. And uh we got 30 minutes every Saturday to go practice and they had this like, you know, they had a bass trombone there it needed some help, but they had a a dependent bass trombone for me to at least play on and some of my some of my colleagues in the navy band there was a euphonium player there and a flute player there that were a month ahead of me. So they kind of showed me the ropes and the right things to say to tell your your, you know, drill sergeant stuff, what to what, what to say to them to let them have them let you come practice. So every saturday i got out of breakfast early i'd scarf it and then i'd go eat while they went back to the i forgot all the names for the stuff back to the dorm or whatever to get ready to go to to drill practice because my unit was the musical unit but it it was called a uh triple triple threat because it was we were the band for all the graduations the marching band we were a rifle unit and a flag unit so every saturday we'd split off into three groups and go prep for all the graduations and every saturday afternoon or sunday we would do the graduations for all the graduating units and so like i'd get to practice a little bit but i mean i was still super out of shape because then there was no practicing it was like just run the charts for like an hour and then you go off to do you know fire training or something and so when i finally got to the band man it took like three months before not only i got my chops back but then because i got there in december it's freezing in dc january february like they have like compared to texas legit winners um (laughs) And, like, yeah. like playing outside on a metal mouthpiece, I learned really quick to get that plastic rim. And, actually, I still have the one the guy gave me right here. It, it froze to the lead pipe. And when I pulled it out to give it back to him, the lead pipe came with it. And he was like, you know what, just keep it. So was my <laughs> first mouthpiece um, in the Navy band. And, uh, it, yeah, it took a long time because you not only do you sound like garbage, but then when you're standing, like, in the snow and you have to then try and play a chart, you especially sound like garbage and so it was like, like
0: you go, you went right into sad. work like right after boot camp you had to start working right away and be playing pretty close it was like a three-week period where they're like no no no, just get adjusted and i'm like dude I, I don't want to
2: adjust like i just went through two months w- waiting to do this like put me in coach and they kind of laughed at mm-hmm. me because they were like you're gonna you're gonna regret that statement like no one's ever gotten here and been and begged me to put them on a funeral before uh, and I was like, "Dude, just let me do something." I'm sitting around my house doing nothing. Like, let me do something. And they're like, "They, they put me in after about two weeks." And I was off doing funerals for about six months before I got to get on stage. So,
1: wow, yeah. that's amazing. They they and,
0: say and that and Brian they- Heck does put the fun in funeral. <laughs> oh my god! They <laughs> do
1: they, do they do they? Yeah, I've heard that on the streets. I think we, we called the Navy <laughs> um, band. They were they are but now you got your beautiful quaff of hair. So I mean, you're you're like uh yeah. yeah.
2: I haven't shaved my beard either since I left the military. Like not not once. I, I hated that.
1: Oh, you mean like all the way down?
2: Yeah, I just use like clippers it, and I go I mean, to stubble.
1: I wouldn't I would cuz I wouldn't call that a beard. I'd call that stubble. Well, but look I at mean, yours,
2: man. Yours is impressive. Exhibit of A. Yeah. <laughs> If that's the example to live by, then yeah.
1: <laughs> and this has been trimmed down a couple of times since the pandemic. I, I need to do it again. I'm, I'm getting a little, little willy woolly going. Is that, on? that just the, basically... tone <laughs> the, the tone
2: beard? The tone beard. Yeah, you get right. Get that luscious tone from just <laughs> yeah.
1: the uh-huh, That's it. Yeah.
0: He just grows it until his wife yells at him, and that's when he knows <laughs> it's, the, it's time to the,
1: cut the it. Yeah, the, yeah, she's getting a little bit like maybe it's time to cut the beard. <laughs> she's finding like
0: beard hairs in her soup. Okay, one man. time, one time, Nick had his hair, his beard about this long, and we thought it'd be super cool to. We just Googled Civil War beards, and, <laughs> and we found the most ridiculous one. And he shaved you. What you shaved like well, right yeah. down the I middle? Just, yeah, I just went here, so <laughs> it, it, under it your was, chin. It,
1: it was sideburns up into a mustache, and and just the the chin part shaved all the way down. Get that guy a mustache. I bet I can. <laughs> yeah, there's a picture
0: of it, and his, yeah, oh, yeah, his wife came
1: it. home, and and we could just
0: say. She was not pleased. <laughs> oh
2: my gosh! Yeah, I need to see this picture. It's. <laughs>
1: I'll, I'll I'll try to find it while we'll we, while it. we keep going. How long were you in the Navy Band before before you got to uh, your current station, as it were?
2: Um, I did just one enlistment, four
0: years. Yep.
1: How many push ups could it's... you do right now?
2: Oh, uh man, that's. that's could you an pass a PT question. test? Nope nope not even close dude not even close <laughs> i can get like maybe 20 25 out uh no way no you need at least like like i think it was i had to get 80 out in two minutes to pass Ugh. and like if you did a hundred over a hundred then that was like top marks but like navy really? seals were cranking out like 125 in two minutes and they would train on the other side of the gym from us and so like they were like we they, that was always they were you know comparing us to them it's like you guys are Well, things I can't say on this podcast, you know, just bleep it out and make it sound like I said something (laughs) crazy, Uh, but they would, they would show us the seals over there and they looked, they were obviously in different uh, colored outfits, uniforms and stuff. And they were doing these like crazy pushups way faster than all of us. But I used to be able to do like 85 to 95 in two minutes. And I was pretty proud of that. At my peak, I did 105 one time in in the Navy band, but now at maybe 20, 25.
0: So you were like ripped coming out of Navy though. Like Dude, I had camp, a six pack. Like, like oh now, God.
2: I have a keg. Like, <laughs> a dad pack.
0: <laughs> Seriously. Dad pack. <laughs> All right, sorry. Go on about Atlanta. So
2: yeah, I just did the one enlistment, four years, and I actually didn't even finish it. Whenever I got into, when I got into the Atlanta Symphony, which was uh, kind of a fun story altogether. But I, um, whenever I came here, they because they let Nate out. Nate was in the Atlanta Symphony, so I was talking to him like, "How am I supposed to get out?" And he was like, "Well, do these things." I got out early. Go talk to him and say these things. And that's how you get out. And Bill Thomas, who was in the Atlanta Symphony, also got out of the Navy band Mm -hmm. early. Plenty of people had, there had been precedent of people getting out of military early. Well, we got a new command master chief in that was like, I'm putting a stop to that. Like, you're not getting out early. You know, I'm going to talk to the secretary of the Navy. And, you know, like, no, we're not going to let you out early. I'm like, okay. Well, someone came up with the idea of transferring my duty station from Navy band DC to recruiting station Atlanta. And I thought that was kind of an interesting thing, and that but it got me out of the Navy band. So they transferred me. Actually, whenever I got to Atlanta, I started playing the symphony. I would have to go to work, go to ASO, bring my military. um, We called them khaki and blacks. Was black pants and a khaki button down, and I then I'd go from ASO to the recruiting station and check in the first couple of weeks. Yeah, to the point where they're like, dude. You're like, I started with ASO in September, but my end of enlistment was end of October. So, about eight weeks left in my enlistment. And they're like, What am I going to do with you? Like, by the time I get you trained, I'm not even going to be able to use you. So, just stop showing up. You're a pain in my ass. And so, they like, after about a week of showing up, they're like, Just don't come in. It's fine. And so, Amazing. I got to, so, yeah, coast out.
1: Wow. Well, that worked out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've been there seven years, almost. Yeah, almost eight years. This oh is my god. eighth,
2: eighth I season. I can't believe it. Jeez, Louise, eighth
0: season. Yeah. So playing in the band, were you kind of having this mindset of like, I'm doing my job, but I'm I'm also trying to get better every day and preparing for the ultimate. Like, I want to be in an orchestra someday. Hundred percent. Like mentally. So how how did the whole process go? Like getting ready for this audition. Was it? I mean, imagine it was difficult getting permission to even take auditions. So oh my god, you probably weren't yeah. taking that many.
2: No, I was taking every audition under the sun. Like I
0: I had called when I got in the Navy band, I called I called Mulcahy
2: and I was like, hey, this is not my my dream job. How do I ensure that I still have a shot at my dream job in four years? Like I can't get out of my enlistment for four years. But if I don't take an audition for four years, like am I going to be ready to take an audition and win one in four years? And he's like, keep the water boiling is what he said to me. Keep the pot on the stove. And so he's like, keep taking the auditions. Like, turn them down if you win them. Turn them down. Like, that's good news to win it. And it's, like, not nice to turn it down, but, like, cross that bridge when you get to it. And um, I didn't win any, but it was a lot. It was four years of really good experience going to auditions, doing better every single time, like, making semis then making super semis then making finals and then making runner-up to George for the New York Philharmonic my last year. So it was, like, I'm so glad I kept taking those auditions because I kept getting better at them. And I I was peaking at the right moment. It took me four years of doing auditions to get to where I was for New York Phil. And that's the only reason why I got the invitation for Atlanta was because when New York took their bass trombone, they were like, all right, well, who was the runner up? We'll offer them a one year with us. And so I got a call actually walking out of that audition from Nate saying like, hey, sorry that New York didn't go your way, but we have an opening now. Do you want to come move to Atlanta?
1: Wow, word travels fast. Yeah, that's yeah.
2: the
0: best consolation after an audition disappointment ever.
2: It really was. I mean, honestly, and I was, I, I was not like super sad walking out of that audition. I was so happy to have even made it, make it that far, because I did. I showed up to that audition thinking, like, okay, this is New York. This is just going to be good experience. And I remember even whenever they announced that I had advanced out of semis, I was there with. I mean, there were like some huge heavy hitters. And some of my mentors in my round of semis, and I don't want to name any names, but like I remember I was there with my buddy from Northwestern, Kevin Hakes. He was in my round with me. And whenever they announced that I had advanced, I, I actually asked him, I was like, wait, hold on, are you sure that like, <laughs> you sure that number lines up with me and not like that guy, you know, who I who was, you know, just way up here in my mind? Um, they like, and they're like, and Kevin turns to me like, Brian, shut up and take it. <laughs> I was just like, I just want to check. I don't want you to be wrong and me get like all excited. And she was like, uh was Nishi, Badwar. I don't know if y'all worked with her, but um mm-hmm. she she was like, Yep, uh number twenty two, Brian Hecht, like you're advanced to finals with Jeff D and George Curran. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And I, I remember I didn't even have a hotel for that night. I had my my bolt bus booked back to DC that night that I, I had to skip the bolt bugs. I wasn't even planning on making it that far and I had to find a hotel I found it was Hotel Amsterdam just like up yeah. like 10 blocks up this you know what I'm talking about Nick? it's like a flop
1: house it, dude it's terrible <laughs> I know it's it's like for the down and out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or for people in the finals of the New York Philharmonic whatever I, either way I was it hoping was, you I'm were
0: going to a... say something like I, I snuck into the Lincoln Center basement and <laughs> climbed inside a box <laughs> <laughs>
2: But uh, yeah, I went up there and I found it was a hundred bucks for the night, which I couldn't believe because New York City hotels are outrageous. But I remember... Yeah,
1: I mean... That it's, should
0: tell you something. It, let's yeah. put it this
1: way. The, the Hotel Amsterdam is a hotel in the same way that Olive Garden is Italian. restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's like, kinda, you know? Dude, maybe. It, I was basically staying in
2: what I think used to be a kitchen, but that they put a bed in and nice. it was it was so tiny i remember the door opened and hit the butt the, the end of the bed and so mm-hmm. you had to like you push your luggage in first and then the trombone and threw it on the bed and i like sort of skirted in and i remember i had to in order to practice i had to set uh i a foldable stand i set it up on the other side of the bed and i stood on the other side of the bed and played across the bed because that was the only way that my slide would reach all the way out to sixth I can't um, believe
1: someone didn't try to stab you for doing that, dude. In Hotel Amsterdam.
2: Um, and well, because I had a horror story from the night before. Actually, the night before my my semifinal round at uh, for New York, I I stayed with a buddy from college who was like one of, one of my party buddies, and that was a big mistake because he never stopped partying. And mm. I, I he knew I was coming to take New York Phil audition. He was a bass trombone player, um, and he's he's now an arranger and stuff, and very 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 good guy. But paper-thin walls of New York City apartments, I, he let me stay on his couch. Well, he chose that night to pull an all-nighter watching Caddyshack on rerun with his buddies who all showed up with six-packs. And they're like, hey, do you mind if a few friends watch a movie? And I'm like, dude, your house, go for it. But it's like, it's 1030. I'm going to go to bed. I've got early, early rise. And he's like, okay, we'll try to keep it down. They did not try to keep it down.
0: That's always a good lesson, too, because you, you always want to, if you're going to audition, it's always tempting to stay with a friend because it, of course, it'll save money. So it's either stay with like a very boring, serious friend or just spend the money on the hotel. It's always kind of worth it.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I, I learned that
1: lesson along the way, too.
2: <laughs> Dude, he, it was so loud. Even whenever I left the next morning, they were still going. I left at 8 a.m., but I, I didn't get any sleep. I even like, I'm a hard sleeper too, but like the th- wall. I swear the walls are so thin they could have been in the same room as you. And even I, I woke up every hour, and then I finally put like my headphones in and tried like some sleep music, but I could hear them over it. And so I I just kept waking up. Finally, I was up at six thirty, and I just like studied, and I left at eight, and I knocked on his door, and he they were just like a couple of them in there just hammered, still watching Caddyshack. I'm like, you know, I bet this was a great night for you guys, but this was like, and I didn't say it, but I was just like, all right. I'm gonna go, and he's like, "Great, good luck, man, kill it." I was like, "Hate you." (laughs) Wow, (sighs) and it worked out. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, and it it, it ended up working out, and that was, um, that that was, I anyway, that that was the culmination of a story that I definitely did still take auditions in the Navy Band, and it was a nightmare to, you know, get leave approved for a lot of these auditions because the moment they found out you were taking an audition, it was almost like they didn't want to approve leave. So right. they, you kind of had to like ma- like just keep it, keep your cards to your chest, and be like, it's just I need leave for personal reasons, and they couldn't really push too hard on that.
1: So you, you like you said, this is your eighth eighth season, do you say in the ASO? Yeah. So obviously this this season is not a normal season in any mm-hmm. way, shape, or form for anyone. But you know, you get you get a lot of opportunities normally to go and play with other huge orchestras, and and you play, you know. You go new master classes and you do recitals and things like that. Mm. So, what are some of the things you do have coming up that are on the books for when normal returns, whatever that's going to look like? Yeah, or is it, or is it, <laughs> or is that TBD?
2: <laughs> oh no, I thankfully I got I got some offers before all of this went down for this summer and. They said that they're still going through with it, so uh, I hope that you know vaccine keeps rolling and works and brings numbers down, so that I can actually get on these planes. Uh, I hope I get a vaccine. If I don't get a vaccine for the summer, I'm not doing any of it.
0: I just saw an Hopefully. article that that young, based from bonus, young, healthy, based from most are at the top of the list to get the vaccine. Are we first. essential? So I think <laughs> yeah, I think you're fine.
2: <laughs> Thank goodness.
1: Phew. No, I, I think I think your your newspaper had the U and Smudged out before the word essential. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> or I had my thumb over
2: it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, But I know I've got a. Um, I'm soloing with the national brass quintet of Lithuania. Actually, it uh, as you do tri- oh. as as you do uh, the uh, Trakai Fanfare Week. That's this summer with. I'm doing that with Jens Lindemann and uh, that I'm looking forward to that. It's like uh, in. It's just outside of the capital uh, Vilnius. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm definitely looking forward to that. I've got, um, there's this like biennial thing they do in Mexico city that they've been, they had like Nate and George down a couple years ago and they, uh, they're having me and I'm not sure who the tenor is, uh, coming down for that. That's, I think that's in June and then ITF in Columbus.
1: We'll see yeah. you there. We'll see you there.
2: Heck yeah. Heck that's yeah. That's awesome. Heck, Heck uh, yeah. Man, I missed opportunity.
0: That can be yeah, exactly. Can, Come can on, we make man, a you hashtag out of that? Yeah. Like,
2: at least or a T-shirt? Would you, I? I would be. top Yeah. Heck yeah. Well, I'm curious because
0: yeah. I mean, you're you're clearly very resourceful. I mean, obviously, you're a beautiful player, and we enjoy yes, everything we've heard of you. And 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 you're very active on social media, and, and great about just getting yourself out there. And you have this great new resource with the Slide School. I'm curious if any with the Atlanta Symphony and you can talk as much as you want about it, but you know, there's been ups and downs and and some, some years where, you know, maybe I think there were some strike years and some things Mm -hmm. where you weren't necessarily sure. And I'm I'm curious if all this resourcefulness and and just getting out there was maybe related to that at all, because you know, a lot of people can get jobs and just like, this is my job. This is what I do. This is all I do. I'm happy doing it. Um, But you're getting out there and, and doing a lot of things. Was that related at all?
2: You know, I think it, it definitely was a catalyst, but I think it's rooted in that I got into music because of all the melodies that I would hear that would Im- like have an emotional impact on me. You know, like I'm a, I'm a pretty emotional person. Uh, and like, I, I guess I'm one of those people that I feel like I feel emotions real deeply and music kind of like hits at the core of that. And there's not many bass trombone parts that allow for that sort of connection with music in the orchestra so it's like occasionally like like we're actually we're doing strauss's uh bourgeois Gentilhomme this this season it's like that's yeah that's one of those gems that it's like well i actually get to play the melody and it's it's actually meant for the bass trombone to be one of the solo voices and so but it's such a rare opportunity that i was like i'm not getting a lot of fulfillment the way i thought i would just doing that sort of the job of the bass trombone blending in the orchestra and so i I looked like early on, even when I got in the Navy band, I looked for lots of opportunities that it's like, look, you don't even have to pay me. Like, just let me come to your school and give a recital. And actually my first recital tour, I was an Edwards artist at the time and Christian helped me out a lot. He's like, all right, well for each university, I'll give you like 250 bucks. And that covered, I would stay with friends, so I would cover meals, I would cover gas, and it would cover my accompanist. So I literally made zero money and I did this whole Texas recital tour and i just loved it because it was the only chance i get to get to play the melody and to get to actually like connect with people through music and like there i i'm not great with words and so like that's like a lot of times whenever there's things i want to say i can't i don't i don't have the poetic language to be able to get it out through the Eng, you know through the english language i need music To be able to express Mm. these things or else it just bottles up you know like i've uh had a lot of things in my life that need that music saved me from you know and music was the reason i was able to emotionally get through it but i don't get i'm a sharing person like i wanted to share that with people that obviously there's nobody in your practice room like and so i wanted to tell my story that way and that was my opportunity so i would i would do everything i could to just play and you know make connections with people play for people and one of my students even said one time, he's like, you don't say no to anything. And I was like, yeah, I kind of don't. Like, it, a lot of times great it doesn't matter. That's the how money. it should be.
0: Yeah. That's how it should be. Brian, give me a million dollars.
2: Okay. Brian, <laughs> I'll take out a loan. <laughs> but yeah, that's where it started. And the, the lockout was, was really fortunate because, man, the, we, li- we live in a great world, guys, where, you know, like, it doesn't matter... If like what orchestra you play in, we have this connection, you know, like and we're it's like we're a big, you know, trombone family. Like when the, when we got locked out, like I can't tell you how many phone calls we got from other trombone sections that was just like, hey, can we get you out? Like uh, here's some weeks we have like Tim Higgins got in touch with me. And I remember being at a bar and I knew who Tim Higgins was. I don't I I would was very surprised that he even knew who I was and like he's just a great guy like that you know and like he contacted me was like hey man we he's never heard me play he didn't know if i if if i could have you know done a good job in san francisco but he knew that i wasn't making any money i wasn't being paid and he called and he was like hey can we get you and nate out what can we do like these are the weeks are you free and i'm like hell yeah i'm free i'm not doing anything and so he got Mm -hmm. me out for a couple weeks houston came came helped us out a little bit mick got us some teaching like of a, a lot of the orchestras on my list of orchestras I've played with happened during that time that we were just popping around to orchestras that were, you know, basically helping us pay our bills. And well, that's that when was, I met
1: you. You were, you got called by the Philharmonic to come up. That's right. Um, and that's, that's you needed to borrow a mute. And so we met up that's for right. some cocktails, uh, you and your wife, and uh, we met up and had some cocktails.
2: I'm still embarrassed from that night. Because I made it about two beers in and I had to admit to you, I was like, Nick, uh, I'm having a great time. I want to keep hanging, but I'm wasted right now, dude. Like, and I got a rehearsal tomorrow
1: morning. (laughs) Do you remember that? uh, Hopefully not. That's Um, what Nick does to people. (laughs) I'm I'm a bad influence. I'm I'm a good bad influence.
2: (laughs) Well, it was these high gravity. Well, you showed me like all these great places. Like, uh, we went to the first place we went was like that, it was like a cocktail lounge. Right there. Yeah,
1: Lincoln, Lincoln, the Italian restaurant. Yeah,
2: right. man, they had some amazing cocktails. I thing is, I was used to drinking beers. This was before I was like, got into bourbons, got into cocktails. So I had a couple of old fashions and it hit me hard and I hadn't had much to eat. And it was, I remember oh. then we went out, it was like me is Nick is you, me and my wife. And we had a, man, we had an awesome time. We then went to like a Belgian beer place. And I remember get, having these like 11%, 9% beers. Mm-hmm. And after like two of them, I was like, okay, I you know be I, I just I, I like was not up to snuff on my uh my Belgians and
0: it it kicked my butt and then he's like let's watch Caddyshack <laughs> <laughs> um, should we do the rapid fire questions you,
1: you gotta get them going okay
0: rapid I forgot fire. to write them down but I think I remember them um i can steal some so yeah we started a newer thing where we just asked some quick questions towards the end to get some quick answers that always tend to be long answers but that's okay okay let me pick some of the good ones so quick dumb trombone ones thayer valve rotor valve any sort of valve thayer valve all the way every day all right texas Er day um <laughs> what is your favorite piece to play you could pick an orchestra piece and a, and a solo piece
2: Favorite piece to play? Oh, um, it's to- for me, it's a toss. Yeah, uh, for the <laughs> orchestra, it's a toss up between like Chike symphonies and Mahler symphonies, nice. um, th- for for different reasons. But I just I love both those the same because it's you're always active. You're not sitting there just counting a ton of rests. Uh, so that's, those are the fun ones for me. And then solo pieces, honestly, my number one fave right now is "Elegy" by Joe Bono. That one is that one's deep.
1: That's a beautiful piece. Amazing. Mm.
2: And it's just like every time I get to perform it, there's so many opportunities to do like different things, say different, you know, nuances with the emotion. But it's it's a it's a really emotionally charged piece. And I talked to Joel. I was like, dude, I feel like you were going through something when you wrote this. And he was like, yeah, that was right after. I think it was his dad who passed away. And that was like, mm. he poured his himself into that piece. I feel like the trombone world caught this great composer at the right time and said, just write us whatever you want. And it, it it's an absolute treasure, I think, in the in the trombone world, just because it's you know we have a lot of pieces for us that it's like, hey, let's see how weird we can you know awkward we can make your listener feel with all these you know extended techniques, um, <clears throat> you know, and and not a lot of them have like a lot of emotional connection to them, but they're just like fun pieces like Barnacle Bill, you know, but uh, it's it's a rare find to get something that you can really like dive into emotionally and that has like those healing powers. Uh, yeah, the elegy would be nice.
0: Yeah, Nick and I talk about that a lot, right? I mean, there's there's plenty of, we trombones have a long history of like, oh, let's plenty of show off pieces just for yeah. you know other trombonists, but mm-hmm. like yeah. we're capable of so much more, and it's so much more <laughs> fulfilling when we do that, right? And that's how you reach non-trombonists. <laughs>
2: exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um. Thank you. Uh, is is fifth position real? We haven't asked that one in a while.
2: It's uh
0: It's a conceptual yeah. question. Yeah. <laughs>
2: It's out there somewhere. It's like dark matter. We know it exists. We can't quite see it. No, it's out there somewhere. We know it's there. Okay, that's a good answer.
0: Um, do you have a, a concert experience that sticks out in your mind as just the most memorable, most meaningful uh yeah you know for me it's it was one of the
2: more recent ones and I feel like every season I have one and every time I get this question it's gonna be something from the last season you know just uh, I feel like that's what's one of the beauty of our jobs is that we get these opportunities to make these amazingly musical moments like if you don't have one of these stories from each one of your seasons then i i I, just, I, I wouldn't believe you you know what I mean like with the the mm-hmm. Orchestras that the three of us play with—it's like you're gonna get that. Uh, so for me, it was we were doing Shasti Seven with Spano, who Spano is one of those really emotional conductors. Like I've literally seen him cry on the podium before um, wow. while conducting us, and it's like he's a—it's—it's it's powerful, you know. When you have a leader that's willing to express themselves like that, it makes you feel like a safe space to express yourself like that. And I remember we were doing—I mean, we all know the history behind these—the—the uh, the Shostakovich Leningrad. And to for uh, when Spano was conducting that, we had the Pittsburgh Symphony section come in. The uh, We had Jeff D., Jim Nova, and I think Nate called in Coitro to to fill in our section because our sub at the time was Jason Robbins from Alabama, and he subbed in the section with Pittsburgh. And so for mm. just having that, like a section that's like, you know, like that plays together that like, dude, they were crushing us. Like they were keeping us on our toes, me and Nate. And- it was and and co was second which we all know how like co was second in the met so he guy knows how to be a great second like it was two great sections that we sitting like uh uh sort of down the line it was like this one massive trombone line but it ended up with the principals next to each other and then went out so i was literally like right in front of spano i was in the middle of the orchestra and it was coming to the final culmination climactic moment in the last movement where nick you'll know exactly where i'm talking about where it's like comes to this big moment and the bass trombone almost a b yes, yes! <laughs> god like what fantastic writing and oh, yeah. i mean the bass trombone literally comes to the front as the leader of the orchestra at this moment and spano just looks at me and he just starts smiling and then just looks straight up to the heavens and was conducting and you just see him just got like, he's beaming and i'm just i'm continuing to do this but like it was it was ethereal, man. It it was out of body that the whole orchestra just locked. And the sonorities we were making as such a large ensemble already, but with such amazing players and every section. I I love every single one of my colleagues and what they can do. And it's just I will never forget that moment where it was almost like time stood still. Ya ba bum ba ba bum and you just see the sound and Spano's look gazing up to the heavens and it was like I swear, you could hear it outside the hall. The whole orchestra just locking, and it was and it was amazing. I'll I'll never forget that moment.
0: Man, I have goosebumps yeah. hearing that. That's that's <laughs> an amazing. It's like it's it's easy to make fun of conductors, and we do it all the time. But like <sighs> those moments when you connect with them, and when they're showing you that they're locking into what you're doing, and that you're on the same page, and that they're enjoying what you're doing, and oh, there's no better feeling, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then when you play the the uh, the composers that just know how to bring that out of an orchestra, like Rachmaninoff is another great example. And I mean, I'm a little biased because my grandfather Shassi, in rock. but um, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: totally agree with you. Oh man, yeah, symphonic dances—that's such an awesome piece. Yeah,
0: yeah. is there a, oh. is there a recording of that? What you guys did, Shostakovich? Uh,
2: from I'd have to find that night because we played it like four nights in a row, and so I can't remember which night that happened on. But I'll try and. Um, yes, there are recordings and I'll have to, I've got it on oh, my computer. Man. I'll find it.
0: I would love to hear that. J- I remember Jim telling me about going down to play that. He was so excited, man. Oh, yeah.
2: There
1: was a hang. Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. I bet it was. Yeah. We, we, I think what I I did it in New York with the Philharmonic right before it was down in Atlanta Cause I remember. Yeah. 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 And the way we set up the, the second trombone section, you know, I was, I was playing in the second trombone section. We were right next to the timpani. So, like, it was like timpani, like right huh. here. And I, every concert, I think we did it four times as well. And every concert, but you leave the concert and your ears are ringing. It's like, but it was it's, it's amazing. It's so much I'm fun. I'm
2: playing, but I can't hear what notes I'm playing. <laughs> exactly. You just feel vibration. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. I have one more, and then Nick has one. Yep. You're standing in front of your 18 year old self. What would you tell him?
1: Boo.
2: A lot of things, man. A lot of things. Um, Buckle up, like freaking. I don't know if it. If I'm talking about like practice techniques, I would say scales. Like, please just take your scales seriously, dude. Mm, Uh, That was one thing that you know I I didn't really take seriously until like Navy Band life, because my pitch just was not getting me where I wanted it to be in auditions and in performances. Like, I was always frustrated that there was like one or two notes out of tune every phrase. And I was like, well, how do these other guys do it? And it's like just freaking scales, like find the song in a scale, fall in love with that song mm. and do it every day. And I feel I like I I, I I, wish I could tell that to myself. Other other than that, I feel like I was told a lot of the right things when I needed to hear it. And so I would leave the rest to fate because I'm happy where life has placed me.
1: Great. Well, my my question to you, this is one I like to ask all our, all our guests, is what is something that you, as a teacher, believe students don't do enough of?
2: Being honest with themselves. Like, hmm. uh, and I, 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 a little bit of a multi-part answer that I'll try to keep short, but one is in order to be honest, you have to, like, have that mental vision of your goal. Like, what do you want? And I, you know, like I said, growing up in Texas, Charlie, everybody, everybody knew Charlie Vernon. Uh, and by proxy, uh, you know, uh, I, I guess by proxy for us, it was, uh, by new Randy Hawes. And so, uh, mm-hmm. these guys were the dream for me are the dream for me still. Um, and you know, like I, first of all, having that as your goal, having something like that as your goal, but then being honest with yourself and, and like checking your ego at the door and saying like, I'm not there, but someday I will be. And these are the things I need to do to get there. And like being honest, you're just like being able to tell yourself, like not in a, in a, de- a, you know, deconstructive way, but like be like, I'm, that needs to be better. My articulations mm-hmm. are not good enough. My tone is not good enough. This is what my, my goals are. This is how I'm going to get there. But that honesty is where I, f- I find a lot of people fall short and I can see it in a lot of, a lot of students that I work with. And it's like, I kind of in my back of my mind, I kind of tell myself, like, if you don't fix this, you're not going to make it. And I'll never tell them that Uh, in those words. I'll try to, you know, coach them in much kinder ways of getting that message across. But that to me, I think, is one of the biggest downfalls of people is that it's like they're they're not willing to be honest with themselves and say, like, this isn't good enough to win a job. This isn't good enough for me to be able to tell yourself that I think is really one of the sort of pillars, the cornerstones of
1: progress that's a great answer answer
0: yeah we're afraid we're afraid to like get out of the comfort zone right of just like it's like we're afraid to sound bad or we're afraid to not tell ourselves we're we're good so we self-sabotage and don't even try so we don't have to risk like
2: well it only gets harder as you get older you know like to to try and record yourself like you know now i'm in my 30s i'm 35 i'm uh, the the idea of recording myself is like great, I'm gonna hear something I've been working on for a decade now and it's still not good enough. That, it can do, it can really beat you down if you don't check your ego at the door. You don't like keep it out of the practice room. You know, it can it can really inhibit your growth.
1: Absolutely, something something I talk a lot about with my students who have trouble with this is, you know, the difficult process of separating the ego from the artistic self or the player, you know? Yeah. and That's kind of what, that's what you're talking about, is, is keeping those two things separate just because just because you're out of tune on a phrase doesn't mean you're a bad person. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. It, we, um, we take it personally. Yeah. It's, and it's easy, too. It's very personal. The the process is personal. Yeah. You know, the
0: process yeah. is personal. I like that from Nick Schwartz. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> exactly. We have lots of t-shirt a halter ideas. halter top.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Keep it sexy. Well, yeah. Brian, we
0: love you and we miss you. I'll and love you guys. Uh, I'm so glad that you hung out with us to ring in. 2021 which is going to be a beautiful year of it trombone is. playing and other things that's
1: right the hang is going to be legit down at STS or not sts but oh it uh, is
0: sts um, though itf sts
1: well it's both yeah oh, it's right both. yeah, yeah. The love child it's gonna be it's gonna be a great hang. we're gonna just knock wait. on
0: your door right beforehand we're like with our sleeping bags and like hey we're we're here ready to stay <laughs> i'll have caddy Can shack we go ready
1: Oh, but so what are you guys
2: doing down at ITFSTS? Like, what's do y'all? Do y'all have like a like? Are you doing a class? Like, our a presentation? wait aren't you guys? You're doing the podcast down there, right?
1: We're doing a, a live podcast with Joe, Joe Lessie.
2: Awesome! And so we'll be able to sit yeah. in and.
1: Uh, yeah, so it'll be in one of the halls. I don't. I don't know which one, obviously. How oh, cool! The the big highlight for us as a team is uh, the the podcast, and yeah. it's gonna be really fun. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, I'm I'm excited and looking forward. I'm looking forward to seeing it and. Uh, honestly, I like I've I've been following you guys for I mean even before Third Coast Retreat. Like I mean we met. I think I was playing with Pittsburgh one time and Jim had. Sebastian, you you came over and Hakeem came over. Well, and also yeah. Sebastian, I've been hearing about you from John since I was in high school. I remember he he was like, "Yeah, I've got this really good student, Sebastian. That you you're gonna you're probably gonna meet him at Allstate. You got to keep up." And uh, so I've been, uh, you know, you guys have been doing such amazing things. It's just uh, it's an honor to be on this day on this uh, podcast with you guys. So thanks. Thank you so I think much we ran all.
0: into our in Pittsburgh. We ran into our friend Boots and Cats too. Do you boots remember seeing it? Boots and Cats him? and Boots and Cats. <laughs> <laughs> That is a long... That guy's, inside that guy's joke a party animal. <laughs> it would make no uh, sense to try to explain that.
1: <laughs> Brian Hecht has to be top three Brians for me in my life. That's saying
0: quite a lot, because you have a lot of good Brians in your life.
1: Yeah. I have a cousin, Brian, who's a great guy. I, I really like him. And Brian Santaro our little buck. And of little course... Bucks. The handsome, dashing, quaffed hair, Brian Hecht. Just so much handsome.
0: But yeah, I mean, we grew up really close, like 15 minutes away and had the same teacher growing up. And it seemed like lived kind of similar lives in a lot of ways. But it's kind of a special bond, you know, when you have the same teacher in high school in such a formative time of your life, middle school even. And you go on and actually are successful and it's something you always have. And John Bowles is, you know, he was like a second dad to me growing up. So it it was really meaningful to get to talk to to Brian about him a little bit.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I, I know of John Bowles. I mean, number one, I guess the first time I heard about him was probably in some arrangement that he did for like trombone choir or trombone quartet or you know something like that. He has uh, a, a decent amount of that. And we've done some of his um, arrangements at the trombone retreat. So that's probably the first time. But then I started, you know, over my years in the business meeting more and more people who studied with him. And I was like, man, how many people studied with this guy? <laughs> yeah. So he's kind of one of those uh, legendary, if not the legendary Texas uh, trombone teacher, you know, it's uh, for high school students. It's uh, pretty remarkable, but, I wonder how many Texans we're going to have on this show after all said and done, whenever that is. You have one on every show. That's all that matters. Yep, that's true. What show am I referencing right now? Texas Forever.
0: Oh, Friday Night Lights, bro. All right, bro. Cool. We yeah. played them in high school. They were, they were very good. Yeah, I'll just say that. <laughs> was that a, <laughs> L- Lubbock or Odessa Permian? I mm. mean, it was ba- is what they were based off. The show is based yeah, off of. Yeah. They had the similar. They had the same helmets, I think. So
1: that's that's uh, mid Midland area, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were their rivals, but I really enjoyed. I, I touched on it in the intro a little bit, but he was very open with. You know, he's like, I'm a sensitive person. I, I really latch onto emotion and. And I I hear that as playing, he's a sensitive player. Um, He obviously works very hard and I've always respected that about him. He's always putting himself out there. Um, he's obviously been, I mean, his, his resume is a mile long of things he's already gotten to do. So there's no question there, but it's always nice when it's like, there's a really good guy behind all that success.
1: Yeah. And another, another thing that I really appreciated with him is hearing his story and it really wasn't a successful one until, until further along, you know, until he was really in his second year of his of grad school. So, and, and, you know, that's by no means putting him down. It's, it's quite the opposite. I really appreciate hearing people who are so successful have, you know, trouble at the beginning, like, like us mere mortals, you know? <laughs> so, you know, I, and we've experienced that multiple times on this podcast. And I, I would say that's kind of one of the goals of this podcast is to you know, relate to our audience and our listeners that like, Hey, these people who you idolize, like they have been where you are right now. And I think that that really comes through with people like Brian who are willing to go there like he did and say, Hey man, I, I kind of sucked for a little while, you know? (laughs) And you know, let's be fair. His version of sucking is, you know, was probably pretty darn good. Let's let's be honest. Um, but you know, he he wasn't always Brian Hecht. He wasn't always that the bass from West Atlanta and the guy who subs in a million orchestras. His
0: mom might disagree that he was always Brian Hecht. But okay, all right. <laughs> no, but well, exactly what you're saying. Like, and I I loved his answer to your question, which we typically ask on the podcast because it was a very unique answer. In that you know, being honest with yourself. And not being afraid to be honest with yourself, it, just not taking it personally, that's where real progress comes from, I believe. Because it's like people getting excited about failures in a way, you know, right. to, because you learn so much from them. And those are the people that are successful. It's If you have this mindset that you only need to win every single thing you do and and do well in every single audition... Otherwise you're going to be a failure or you're not, you're not cut out for it. Then you have
1: the wrong mindset because no one does that. Well, and on top of that, if you put so much pressure on each individual event of your growth, you are bound to not do as well because everything is under so much pressure that you could, you know, there could be nerve, too much nerves involved. Just, just, it's, you can buckle under that pressure. There's already enough pressure from certain situations. Like an audition, like recitals and stuff like that we don't need to be putting that extra, extra pressure on ourselves. I have a question, Nick. Shoot straight from the hip.
0: Did Santa Claus
1: visit you? How was your Christmas? Whew. Ah, Santa was good this year. You know, I, I didn't expect much, but it was good. You know, I got, I got a nice present from my wife and more importantly, I got to give those who I love presents. And I think that's important. And we, got to dress up our little dog with a bow tie because he is fancy <laughs> and he's a gentleman he's a little gentleman little hairy gentleman yeah we our, our tradition in the, <laughs> the little hairy gentleman yes our tradition in in our apartment in new york my wife is serbian daniela candelari for those of you who have played some of her music she's a composer conduct well, conductor composer um very good one yes i i'm biased, but I'm also, that's, that is realistically true. She is very good. She is the talent in the relationship. That's true. So normally we're going a million miles per hour when Christmas hits. And our tradition is Christmas day. We don't get out of our pajamas and we watch as many Christmas movies as possible. So this year was a little different. We obviously weren't going a million miles per hour leading into Christmas, but we kept that tradition up, which was very nice. And my family has a traditional Christmas brunch, which was really good. And
0: Sebastian, nice f-
1: can I ask you a question? Sure. Did a a, a portly <laughs> gent slide down your chimney this year?
0: Well, he did. He did in a different way. My family decided to try something new this year. It was a really fun project. We all chose three charities and told the rest of our family the three charities that we chose. And everyone got to choose one for each person. And so that's all we did. We didn't exchange gifts and I because I don't know if you knew, but we're like such good people. We're like really good people. <laughs> uh, what charities did you choose? I chose. Oh, the the one that I always support is Bloom Haiti.
1: Oh, yeah, you have you have a little history with with Haiti, going down there and doing some work. Yeah, it's this amazing
0: foundation down there that basically works with young people in in the music schools there. There's like little music schools in each town, and. I mean they need so many things and i first time I went down there to 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 teach I just brought I picked up a big bottle of like valve oil on the way to the airport. And it's like I gave them a kidney when I gave it to them. They like threw me a party and just so many things. And money goes so far. And I have some, there's some just amazing people working down there. And Dave Bender's been down there too. Yeah. What else? Did I, in some local Pittsburgh charities for like hunger and one national charity for uh, basically using music therapy to work with children with certain disabilities. Yeah, but it, it was cool. That's great. Um, actually, yeah. And so Christmas was really nice. It's really nice, you know. Speaking of Christmas, we got one of the most thoughtful emails we've ever received, and I would love to share it with you. So let me let me read it. This is from Chris Larson, who is a tuba player.
1: Uh, tuba? Tuba is like a big euphonium, right? I believe so. I believe so. So I mean, come um, on, like, pick a real instrument guy. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> guy? Guy? <laughs> you're
0: gonna feel bad after you hear this so dear mr schwartz and mr vera my name is chris larson i'm currently a freshman tuba player at columbus state university where i'm studying with dr alex avila i'm also a member of the cincinnati brass academy which is not brass studio where i study with jonathan tang a few weeks ago jonathan recommended that i should listen to the trombone retreat podcast so i popped onto spotify and decided to give it to listen i chose to listen to the episode where you interviewed jim markey and it was amazing After listening to that episode, I was hooked, and over the last few weeks, I've gone through and listened to every single episode you have made. 20 gold stars for you. (laughs) I have really enjoyed listening to all the really cool artists you have interviewed. You guys both ask such thoughtful questions that really highlight each of the artists on your show. I have also really enjoyed listening to the wonderful sense of humor that you guys both have, which has really resonated with me and given me quite a good laugh. Well, well, geez, that was very nice of you to say.
1: Thank you. Glad someone finds this funny.
0: (laughs) I have a few questions that I would love to know your thoughts on. And I, I I really like these questions. When both of you won your jobs, what was it like for both of you to adapt your playing and sound concept to fit within your respective orchestras? I know you guys will go and sub for other orchestras around you. So what do you do to match the particular sound of the orchestras you are playing with? Thank you for making such an entertaining and thoughtful podcast. I think this is such a wonderful resource that all musicians should listen to. I've definitely learned a lot from it. You guys are doing an excellent job and I can't wait to see what the future has in store.
1: Okay. Ooh, man. What an email. That's very nice. Thank you. Right. Thank you, Chris. Go on playing the tuba. I, 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 <laughs> I permit it <laughs> like you were looking for my permission. Oh, well, that, that's a great question. And I think, I mean, it's. You can get it, you can go kind of down a rabbit hole on that question as far as intonation and sound concept and, you know, but really I'm going to try to make it as simple as possible. So the biggest adjustment when I got into the New York City Ballet was I just didn't know ballet music very well, plain and simple. And there's a certain style to ballet music, much like there is opera, which I know you'll get into, uh, Sebastian. And so, you know, you just have to kind of have big ears and listen and and just try to adapt to the environment around you and i think that's really the long and short of it is in any ensemble you're playing in be it your high school band or your college orchestra or brass quintet really we should be trying to adapt to the people around us so that we we are fitting in the ensemble and you know a a key goal of being a musician is flexibility is not being the person who is Maybe not even intentionally, but being, being stubborn, coming across as stubborn because they're inflexi- inflexible, inflexible So the biggest thing, if I could boil it all down, listening, just listen to those around you and make it a goal to make the people around you sound good. Not like, oh, I'm going to highlight myself. It's like what you're doing supports the people around you and makes them sound good. Cause if they sound good, they're going to like you because you have helped them sound good. Especially in a supporting role like bass trombone or tuba, our job is to make the people above us sound good.
0: But your principal based from trombone, well, so you know, it should make you sound good, right?
1: You know, I just so happen to
0: sound good, but <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> so no, I think that's 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 you're, you're nailing it, especially with that second question. And to speak to a little bit more objectively on the first question you asked, how to adapt your playing and sound concept to fit within your respective orchestras. So you know, I you know I studied with John Kitzman in Dallas, but then I went and studied uh, in New York, and I studied with you know Finlayson and Markey, and just the the New York sound in general tends to be a little darker, full, and moving to Pittsburgh. There's you know every city has its own playing tradition. Every every orchestra has its own playing tradition. Every orchestra kind of adapts to their hall. And the way they play kind of adapts there. They adapt to the history of conductors they've had, the history of players they've had. So you have to understand that anywhere you sub, anywhere you go is going to have its own unique style. And there's not one right way to play, in my opinion. And so when I moved to Pittsburgh, there's a history in Pittsburgh of a lot of color in the sound, a lot of overtones, a lot of heroic playing, a lot of brilliance. and so. My sound was kind of too dark sometimes when I first started. So I I had to adjust equipment. I had to adjust just concepts in my mind to be able to resonate and and cut within the orchestra. And I think that's just part of what you do in adapting. There's always an adjustment period. Every every person that's joined an orchestra will tell you it's like you don't hit the ground running on day one there's adjustments to wherever group you play in based on, you know, how loud they play and what kind of role the trombones typically have in the orchestra. It's, I find it fascinating. Like, you know, you go listen to the Cleveland Orchestra, they play in Severance Hall. It's one of the most, it's a small, really, really live space. And so the trombones play a little darker, a little more with more width. So the, the string balance can be correct. And it's, it's just fascinating, you know, the New York Philharmonic plays in a very big hall. And so they adapt their playing to that. And so I, I think it's just really cool to learn about the histories like that. And so when you sub, it's the same kind of thing. Just like Nick was saying, I think you have to have big ears and realize it's your job to make everyone around you sound better. And that's what's going to get you more work. Knowing your role if you're, if you're subbing in a section position, don't be someone that people have to worry about, you know?
1: Yeah, and a, a big one I, I know for principal tremonists, and, you know, generally speaking, I've, ta- I've talked to even base tremonists about this that tend to do this too much, moving. Some people are okay with it, but especially on second tremon, there's something about that. When a second tremonist moves too much, it can really bother the people around them, especially the principal tremonist. And so, you know, err on the side of, You know we you don't want to be stiff you don't want to be you know like in a box the whole time but you know you you shouldn't be leading from the middle chair and this obviously doesn't apply to you um chris with, with um playing playing the tuba but you know don't be over there like churning butter stirring like moving around all the time like you're dancing a tango so not saying you do that i don't know how you play but you know these are these are just little things that can make a big difference and it's like just Try to be a good citizen of the, of the orchestra, you know?
0: If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes as it helps us out a lot. If you want to leave a question or topic for us to discuss, we'll talk about it on the podcast. Follow us at Trombone Retreat on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and on our YouTube channel. You can also email us at our website, tromboneretreat.com, as we love hearing from you. You can also follow Nick at Bass trombone 444 and myself at js.vera on Instagram. And as always... Retreat yourself for 2021. That was not an actual air horn sound.